Well, good morning, everybody. That sounds very loud. How do you do? It's very, very uh, much my privilege to be able to be with you and bring God's word to you today. Let me just give you a 30-second introduction. My name's Steve Hill. Um, I'm, uh, uh, I trained 30 years ago at Spurgeon's College with Deborah Reed as my Old Testament tutor. I'm very pleased that uh, today the passage that's been given us in the series that you're following uh, is in the New Testament, or else I would feel very intimidated. <laughs> so uh, it's really good to be back amongst many familiar faces. Um, I've spent um, 25 years ministering in the East End of London, uh, planting churches there and uh, across the Thames Gateway area into Kent and Essex as well. Uh, and four or five years ago, um, uh, married my uh, my wife, uh, Wendy, who's with me this morning, uh, and we've just moved down onto the Rygate Road, not far away from here. Uh, I'm now working at Yattenden School in the centre of Hawley, and uh, we're involved in a new church planting project on the Westvale Park Estate, which some of you will be very familiar with, uh, just not too far away from here. So uh, it's a real privilege uh, that uh, I can come and bring God's word to you today. Thank you for having me. The passage we've uh, been given uh, has been read to us already from Romans 12. It'll be one that you're very familiar with at the moment because uh, you've been studying this for a few weeks. Uh, But let me just uh, reread verse 2, which is, I've been given the second half of verse 2 in in the series. But to read the whole verse, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So our phrase that we're looking at this morning is testing and approving God's will. Just speak to the person who's closest to you and tell them, do you believe that you are living in God's will right now? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Are you living in God's will right now? (laughs) okay i'm not going to ask you to say what you you're here but then the person you've spoken to ask them to reply back to you how do you know when you're in god's will how do you know when you are in god's will just discuss that back to the other person how do you know when you're in god's will I want to pray for us, and then I want to tell you a little story, one that you'll be very familiar with. Let me pray. Father God, thank you that you are the one who has inspired your word through your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we approach this passage today, as we approach these big questions, Lord, it's not my words. It's your word that has to be declared. It's not the way I want to apply it, Lord. It's your still, small voice that we ask for. I pray that you will take the poor offering of my preaching and inspire it by your Holy Spirit, that you will be the one who speaks to people's hearts and help us today to receive the encouragement to be led to repentance and to grow in faith because of what you speak to us today. 
We submit to you, Lord, our God and our Master. Amen. The story I want to tell you is one, as I said, you'll be very familiar with. It's about a couple called Mary and Joseph. (laughs) Close. Not Mary and Martha. Mary and Joseph. I think you'll have heard of them. Um, In their journey, things didn't always seem very smooth. I'm sure when they were on the back of a donkey going towards Bethlehem, they probably thought, what on earth are we doing here? They were having to go on this journey, not because it was God's will for them to go to Bethlehem, but it's because a Roman emperor had told them they had to go to Bethlehem. It was Caesar Augustus who'd called the census and said the whole world needed to be taxed. So under the decree of Caesar Augustus, Almost ready to give birth, nine months pregnant. She's there on the back of a donkey going to Bethlehem. And when they arrive, pregnant, tired, Mary's asking Joseph to find her a room. And all the rooms are full. Where's God in this? Where's God's provision? This God who's meant to be looking after us. This God who's told me I'm the most blessed of all women. And yet, he's not even provided a room for us. Where is God in this? Not only that, their own king, King Herod, the king of the Israelites, has just passed a decree saying that every child under two had to be sought out and killed. A whole generation of infants being wiped out because of the jealousy of a supposed new king being born, who he thought was going to take his throne. Mary's thinking, where is God in this? Now my own baby's under threat and we can't even go back to Nazareth. We have to flee to Egypt to get away from this king. Everything was going wrong. Everything seemed under pressure. She would have been full and delighted, I'm sure, at the fact that she was able to have this beautiful baby. But the circumstances surrounding it all seemed so odd, so strange, so godless. And yet, there has never been a couple, there has never been two human beings more at the centre of God's will, the centre of God's eternal will, than Mary and Joseph were at that moment. Mary and Joseph were called by God to bring in the saviour of the world. In Matthew It tells us that the angel had appeared to Joseph and he'd obeyed what the angel had said about taking Mary as his wife. He'd done exactly what God had called him to. Mary, we're told, was also visited by the angel Gabriel. And she'd said, let it be to me according to your word. Both of them had submitted their will to God. They'd said, not what I want, but what you want be done. Just as Jesus had to do the same in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but your will be done. Mary and Joseph were in submission to the will and the call of God on their life. And then it seemed that everything got very confused. They were being pushed here, pushed there, no no provision. And yet still they were at the center of God's will. What is it to be able to test and approve God's good, pleasing and perfect will for us? Well, sometimes it seems very dark. 
Sometimes it seems as if God is a thousand miles away from us. Sometimes it seems as though we don't know what's going to be around the next corner. And it feels that God may have even abandoned us. We can't understand why we're in the situation we're in. But if we've submitted our heart to God, if we've said, in all our ways I will acknowledge you and put you first, then God's guidance, God's will is a promise. Not a problem. God's guidance and God's will for your life becomes a promise, not a problem. You say, because I've submitted to you, Lord, I trust that whatever I'm going through, you are with me and you are guiding me. My favorite verse from Proverbs is Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. I learned it when I was just a little boy. You'll know it very well, I'm sure. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Or in the modern versions, it says submit to him. And he will direct your paths. The promise of God is that he will direct our paths when we submit to him and trust him. The will of God, knowing the will of God, shouldn't be this massive problem that means... Uh, the most popular book in every Christian bookshop in these kind of self-help books that you get are all about how to know the will of God, how to seek the guidance of God. All these books and books and books on it. It's as if it's this major problem. Everyone's asking, how do I know the will of God for my life? It's a promise. God will guide you. He will be leading you. It might not look, it, look like it when you look around at your, the circumstances of life you're in. But if you've submitted to God, trust him. You are in his will. Sorry, destroying the microphones here. (laughs) This morning, I pray that this message will be able to bring hope to those of you who maybe are questioning God's will for your life at the moment. And I also pray that it might challenge and shake those of you who, still in your hearts, need to learn what it really means to submit to Jesus as Lord in every area. I want to start off with just looking at the passage that we've read, and the verse we've read in Romans 12, verse 2, and see four general lessons about God's will. And then I just want to close with three ways we can apply that to ourselves. So the four quick lessons. First of all, God says in this verse, it is possible to know and live in his will. In fact, God wants us to know and to live in his will. Do you believe that? God wants us to know and live in his will. He says you will be able to test and approve God's will. Do you know when you think about it, we say that and we all say yes very readily. But isn't it amazing? The God who created the universe, the God who flung stars into space, the God who set every planet in its course, the God who knows things so much more than us, whose ways are unfathomable for human brains to even begin to understand, the God who knows every one of our intimate thoughts, the God who's numbered every hair on our head and does that for billions of people around the world. And all through history, the God who commands the angels of heaven. And we can know his mind. We can know his will. Doesn't that blow your mind? 
How can I know the mind of God? We have a God who is transcendent, a God who is far higher and much, much other than us in every way. And yet, says, you can know me. I was in Marseille over the summer uh, doing a mission to reach North African Muslims uh, at the ports going onto the ferries, going back to North Africa, trying to give them New Testaments to take back into North African uh, Muslim countries where the New Testament isn't allowed. Uh, it was a tough mission. I got talking to one Muslim guy uh, for quite a long time. Uh, and he really struggled with this point. I was going through the four points, the four spiritual laws with him. And we got to the third spiritual law, which talks about Jesus as the son of God, giving his life uh, to overcome the problem of sin. And as I spoke of this to him, he said, no, 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 no. This was all done in very, very broken French. I think I got the gist of what he was saying, but my French isn't that good. So it was all a bit kind of really trying to rely on the Holy Spirit more than, uh, more than ever before. But he was saying, no, 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 no. Allah is not a man. Allah cannot be a man. Allah is other than us. He said, it's blasphemy to say that God should be a person because God is so much other than us. He cannot be a man. And I said, for you, this is blasphemy. But for me, c'est magnifique. It's the most wonderful truth that you could possibly know. Because this transcendent God, who is indeed other than us, whose thoughts are higher than ours, whose ways are higher than ours, has become a human being in Jesus. He's become one of us. Because he wants us to know him. He wants us to understand his will. He wants us to walk with him step by step. Our God who is transcendent is also imminent. Closer than our closest friend. Knowing us better than we know ourselves. Isn't that wonderful? This is the message of Christmas. This is the message of, uh, that we have to proclaim to the nations. God says it's possible to know his will. Hallelujah. Let's take encouragement from that. And let's say, thank you God for your grace to us. It's possible to know the will of God. Secondly, God's will is a promise, not a problem. We've mentioned this already. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways. Submit to him and he will make straight your paths. So often we struggle with guidance, but God says no. It's a promise. You will be able to test and approve God's will. He says, you will be able to test and approve God's will. This is a promise of God. Thirdly, his will is, what is his will? He describes it as his good, pleasing and perfect will for us. His good, pleasing and perfect will for us. Let's just unpack those three words. Good, pleasing, perfect. God's will is good for you. That means it's the best for your life. If you live in God's will, it is the God's goodness is the best it could possibly be. God's good will for you is to live life according to the way that he knows is right for you, even when you're not sure that what he's calling you to do might be good or bad for you. God's ways are good. Living in his will is the best way you could live. Even though there may be temporary suffering, even though there may be hardship, even though there may be doubts along the way, you walk in God's will, it's the best. It's the good will of God. It's pleasing. Pleasing. Do you want to live a a life that's pleasing? 
Do you want to live a life that's full of pleasure? When God talks of pleasure, he's not talking about the sinful pleasures that come temporarily to us when we try and indulge ourselves selfishly in uh, the pleasures of the flesh. He's talking about that contentment. When I was uh, a boy, the Methodist church I grew up in used to talk about the deep joy of the Lord with a very somber face. So deep it was never allowed to break into a smile. But that deep joy of the Lord is there. And it was there in those wonderful Methodists who brought me up. It was, it's deep. Sometimes I think we should really allow it to flow more into smiles and into real exuberant joy and dancing. They are all very biblical. But nonetheless, it's that deep contentment that only comes from knowing that you're walking in God's will. Paul said to Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. God's pleasure comes from learning contentment. Paul said to the Philippians, I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. Whether I'm fed or whether I'm hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or whether I'm in want. Do you know he wrote that? I've learned the secret of contentment. He wrote that from a prison cell. Philippians is one of what we call the prison letters. In a prison cell, he says, I've learned the secret of contentment in any and every situation. Doesn't that blow your mind? God's will is pleasing, not because it makes all our outer circumstances nice and comfortable. He will call you to difficulties. He'll call you into trials and and tests of your faith. He will... Calls you to become uncomfortable and not have to be embarrassed for him, to make a stand for him. But he says that's his pleasing will, the life that will lead you to contentment. Good, pleasing and perfect will. God's perfection is his completion. It's when you feel fulfilled. I was looking at the internet uh, yesterday about a number of people who've made quotes about their life feeling empty. Do you know there are thousands on every website of people who talk about how empty their lives are. People who've achieved fantastic things and they say it counts for nothing when they still feel that emptiness inside. Jesus says we have come to have life in all its fullness. Jesus says I've come to bring you life in fullness and fulfillment and his good, pleasing and perfect will. His will that is making your life complete. His, his, his will that you can walk in, which is when you feel you have a, a purpose in life that is something that will bring that lasting satisfaction and fulfillment that the world cannot offer. It only comes when you walk step in step in submission to God's will. That is the nature of his will that he's inviting you to submit to and to walk in. And you can know true fulfillment as you walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Hallelujah. God's good, pleasing and perfect will. And fourthly, we learn from this verse that his will is not automatic. His will doesn't follow us automatically, but it's conditional. When I said to you earlier, are you living in God's will? I'm not sure what you answered. But it's not automatic that you are definitely living in God's will. God's will is not always done. God is a relational, missionary God. God is a God who 
who's by his spirit is always on the move. And he invites us, if we want to know him and get to know him, we have to jump on board the train. I used to be, in my very sad teenage days, uh, a, trains, uh, a, a plane spotter, not a train spotter, a plane spotter. I used to go to Manchester Airport regularly and try and get all the numbers of the planes that were flying past. The favourite place was at the end of the runway as the planes came over you. But as a plane is going so fast past you, it's very difficult to get the registration that's written very small at the back of the plane. You have to be moving with the plane or wait until it's stationary. God doesn't stop. It's very difficult to get to know God if you're not moving along with him. Like stood on a platform and the train goes past. Have you ever done it at a station and the, the fast train goes through and you're trying to think, which was that one? Was that my, have I missed it? Is that my train? And you're trying to read the destination that's these days in the lights on the side of the windows. And you're going past, I can't read it, I can't read it. Or if you zoom through a station on a train and you're trying to read the, the station name as you go past, it's so difficult because you're not moving at the same speed. With God, our God is a dynamic, missionary, moving, active God. And to be able to get to know him, to be able to get to know his will, you have to be moving along with him. Or else it's all a blur. But God's will is not automatic. It's difficult to get to know it. Because there is an enemy. There's an enemy that has various forms. We live in a fallen world where things don't always go right. Because... Of the fall of Adam and Eve. And there is suffering and there is problems in the world. And we have to go through those and suffer those. There is weakness in our own sinful natures that make us not be able to do the things that we want to do. We don't know God's will sometimes because our own sin gets in the way. Or our own desires get in the way. And there's also a spiritual enemy. There's the world, the flesh... And the devil, a spiritual battle where the opposition is called the prince of the world. With the real power, the same power of angels. God is over and above all that the devil can do. But there is a real battle going on. Hence, unlike in Islam, where everything that happens is God's will, the will of Allah. In Christianity, that isn't the case. I'm sorry if this is bad news for you. But everything that happens is not the will of God. That's why Jesus says to us in the most important prayer he gives us, the Lord's Prayer, where he's teaching us how to pray. He says, pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because God's will is not always done. Because we can choose against God's will. God's given us freedom. In his love, he's given us freedom to reject him. God's will is not always done. It's not automatic that you're walking in God's will today. The promise is when you are submitted to God. In all your ways, acknowledge me. In all your ways, submit to me, God says. Then I will direct your paths. But we can choose not to do that. But the good news is, God's good will is available to us. It is knowable. We can enter into that. And the way into that is by submitting ourselves to God's will. My wife said this morning to me that uh, our dogs at home um, don't mind where they are. 
They don't care where you take them as long as they're with you. They're happy. Have people got dogs like that? It doesn't matter if you go off in the car or somewhere. As long as they can get in the car with you, they're very happy. It doesn't matter where you go or what you're doing. As long as they're with you, their tail will be wagging. It's a bit like that with God. In one sense, he doesn't really mind where you are or what direction Uh, your life is taking. What he says is, are you walking with me in this moment? Are you submitted? In this moment, is your heart right? God is more concerned about our character than our choices. He's more concerned about the desire of our heart than the direction we're trying to go in. He says, wherever you go, I can use you. Wherever you go, I will be with you. So be bold and be strong and very courageous. For I am with you wherever you go. How do we then know the will of God? Let me give you three very quick tips that come from this passage. If we're able to test and approve God's good, pleasing and perfect will for us, how do we do that? The key word is the word that precedes that phrase. It's a simple word, then. Then you will be able to test and approve God's good, pleasing, perfect will. When? Then. When's then? When, then, is when you've presented your body as a living sacrifice. When you've allowed your mind to be transformed by the renewing of your mind through God's power. All those things that have proceeded in the first verse, in the first half of the second verse of Romans 12, that you've been looking at over the last few weeks. It's when we do those things fully and properly that we're able to know and test the will of God. Hallelujah. It's possible. And we've already done the work. Let's remind ourselves of some of the things that are there and how they apply to knowing God's will. First of all, it says, the passage starts in verse 1, doesn't it? In view of God's mercy, present yourself as a living sacrifice. In view of God's mercy. The first way to really know God's will is to always bear in mind we live our lives in response to the mercy of God. Live your life in response to the mercy of God. God's love has been so wonderful to you. If you live your life as a response of love back to God, bearing that in mind, you'll be able to choose the loving option even when it's hard. My father used to say to me when I was a child, when in doubt... Always choose the most loving option. When in doubt, always choose the most loving option. I think that was very good advice. I noticed when he went through a major uh, potential split in the church with, again, it was the splits in the church aren't about theology these days. They're about relationships more than anything else when they happen. Relationships break down. There was the potential of a breakdown in the church that my father was the lay leader of. And uh, a particular gentleman had a real power struggle and was trying to effectively take over the church and take it in a completely different direction. Uh, And it became a personal uh, problem in the relationship between my father and this other gentleman. And my father would come home and over the dining table when we would have our dinners together as a family... He would very often break down in tears and just say, I don't know what to do with this guy. And he would always just say, I've just got to love him. I've just got to love him. And we realized that love wasn't a feeling. It's not a sense of romance. 
It's not chocolates and flowers. Ultimately, love is a decision of the will. I choose the hard thing. I choose to never put this guy down. I choose never to dishonor him. I choose not to gossip about him or talk about him behind his back. I choose to seek God's best for him more than even I would for myself. I choose in love to only ever respond in love. I saw my father do this and the struggle went on for two, three, four years. And in the end, there was an absolute full reconciliation and the church didn't split and it's going on today and still proclaiming the gospel and people coming to faith. I praise God for the lessons I learned over a dining room table from my father of the importance of choosing love. It's only when we're conscious of the mercy and the love of God to us that we can respond in love to other people. We submit to the loving father who loves his children even when they get it wrong. When we, res- we have a God who forgives us. And God doesn't say, my will for you is, is, is this choice that you must make in your life. And when you get it wrong, you somehow go from plan A to plan B. And when you make another mistake, you go on to plan C. And each time it's getting a little bit further away from God's perfect will. It's not like that. God's perfect will for you can be yours today, now. No matter what wrong mistakes you've made in the past, no matter what sin there's been blocking your life, God's will for you can be good, pleasing and perfect today if you receive his forgiveness and submit to him today. Like the dogs, it's not about where you, go, where you are, it's about are today, you with the person you should be with, are you submitting to God today? The love of God, the mercy of God needs to be kept in view. And we live our life in response and we treat other people just as God has treated us. Always choose the option of love. Second thing we come on to. In view of God's mercy, present yourself as a living sacrifice. Do you know, if you want to live in the life of God, sometimes it means making the difficult choice. Sometimes it makes making the difficult choice if you really want to live in the centre of God's will. Becoming a living sacrifice is putting yourself on the altar continually. That's not easy, is it? I think we live in a culture that has become so self-obsessed, so obsessed with self-fulfilment, so obsessed with me achieving the best for me, that... We've lost that ability to really choose the difficult choice for the sake of others. Let me give you an example of this, uh, where, it's, where it's shown um, how it should be. And this is through Caleb in the Old Testament. I did say, sorry, Deborah Reed, if you, if you hear this, but uh, I'm going to go into the Old Testament, take a risk. <laughs> but Caleb, the spirit of Caleb should be our spirit. Caleb was one of the 12 spies, you remember, who went into Canaan and came back and said, we should take the promised land because I've seen these mountains of Horeb and there are big fortified cities there and there are giants living there. And everybody else is saying, we can't take them, they're too powerful for us, but I believe God is with us and we should go in and we should take the promised land. And he and Joshua are the only two who came back with that good report. But the people believed the other ten spies. And because of that, they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. 40 years of disobedience, of wasted time, when they should have been going in and taking the land. But 40 years later, 
Caleb is with Joshua and Moses has just passed away and they're about to cross the Jordan and enter the promised land. And they're dividing the land up. And Caleb has his free pick of anywhere he wants to go. And he remembers what he saw when he first entered Canaan 40 years earlier. He's now 85 years old. And Joshua says to him, what do you want? What piece of land do you want? And he said, give me this mountain. Give me this mountain. Give me Horeb. I don't want the lush green river valleys flowing with milk and honey. I want this hill country. I want these forts with these giants in them. I want the mountain of Horeb. And I'm going to take it for God. It's still occupied by the enemy, but I'm going to take it. Forty years earlier, God had called him. And he'd not forgotten. He was still willing to make the difficult choice. It was going to cost him personally at 85 years old. How many of us allow bitterness to come in or make excuses about, oh, we deserve our retirement, we deserve our home comforts, we deserve our sense of little luxuries in life, and we lose track of what it is to make those difficult choices to submit everything to God still and say, No matter what, I'm going to remember the words that God gave me. And I'm going to carry on and seek for them to be fulfilled. And I'm never going to rest until they are. That was the spirit of Caleb. Willing to make the hard choice for God. What hard choices might God be asking you to make that you've been ignoring and pushing to the background? Maybe it's about who your partner for life will be. And you have to make a difficult choice putting God's will first. Because you know what that really is. Maybe it's about where you live or the kind of job you do. Maybe it's just about when you're driving along the road and it's raining, as I was doing the other day, cycling into uh, Red Hill. And there was a homeless person beside the road uh, under a tree. And I'd never seen them there before. And uh, this lady looked very distressed. And uh, I thought I really should stop. But I was on my way to preach in Red Hill and... Uh, just thought, no, I've got to go and preach. And as I cycled off and passed her by on the other side, I just remembered the Good Samaritan and thought, I'm no better than all those who passed by on the other side. What's my life coming to? I wasn't willing to make the hard decision in that moment. Thank God he gave another opportunity. My wife saw the very same lady and she did stop and she did chat to her. And we called the police and we called uh, the support services and she got the help that she needed in time. But At that moment, I wasn't willing to make that difficult choice. It can be simple, something as simple as that. It was raining, I had all the excuses in the world, and I wasn't willing to stop and sacrifice my time to help somebody in distress. Why not? Because ultimately, we all have the flesh. We all have that sinful nature, and we live according to our desire, not submitting to God. We need to remember God's mercy. We need to make the difficult choices. And finally... I close with the phrase just before this, which says we need to be able to submit our lives, uh, have our minds changed, be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's the phrase I'm looking for. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. My granddad had a fantastic phrase. My granddad was the uh, leader of the independent Methodist denomination. um, And when he was national president, he preached... uh, Uh, his presidential address, uh, and he called it the need for sanctified common sense. 
I like that. Sanctified common sense. When your mind is transformed by the Spirit of God, God invites you to have sanctified common sense. Common sense, making the right sensible decisions that are based on the inspiration of the Spirit. Things that we need to be able to say, I want to walk in God's will. Do you see a need? Look for it. Open your eyes. See the needs around you. Do you have gifts and abilities that can be used to meet that need? Recognize them. Submit them to God. Are the resources available to support you in the things that you can't do? Yeah, then go for it. Is there a sense of a call of God? Then don't hesitate. If those things come together, you go. God doesn't need to call you to go. He's already called you to go. God's will, ultimately, isn't about doing the right things. It's about submitting ourselves to God and doing things the right way, whatever we're doing. It's not about making the right choices. It's about having the right character. Whatever you do, Paul says in Colossians, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him.